Okay, check, check, one, two, and we are recording. Question, one topic, multiple perspectives for each one. You are listening to the Young Catholic Podcast. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode. As mentioned last week, today's episode is part two of my interview with Father Monts regarding the Blessed Mother. I don't normally do this, but I want to discuss the next couple of episodes as well because they're going to be a bit different than the normal ones, or the ones that have been done in the past. The Blessed Mother is such an important person, and her relationship with her son Jesus and her relationship with us is different than our connections with other saints, like our confirmation saint. Don't forget, she is our mom too. So, to spice things up, the next two interviews are not going to center around the same theological questions that I did with Father Mons. Rather, they're going to center around personal relationships with Mary and her role in motherhood. I'll be interviewing my mom and one of her friends separately about their connection with Mary and the evolution of their relationship with her before and after they became mothers. Mary's role in our lives is such an unbelievable blessing, and my hope is that these interviews might offer you inspiration into how you can deepen your relationship with her as well. Don't forget to give us a five-star rating on iTunes, Follow us on Instagram at theyoungcatholic underscore podcast and send us your questions about Catholicism on our website, tycpodcast.com. At the end of the day, your questions are what is going to keep this podcast going. Okay, and here is part two. How do we know that Mary was assumed? I feel like it's very much in line with the Immaculate Conception of just very, it's, it's, a, it's a pivotal part about who Mary is. Sure. So. Yeah. And, and so this would be another one where, again, we don't have at the very beginning from Scripture this clear statement saying, and then on this date, Mary was assumed into heaven. Right. Uh, but again, it's in the unfolding of our tradition. And to say that, whatever is going to be taught about Mary as a definitive dogma would have to have established itself or been present in some way uh, throughout the unfolding of salvation history. So, uh, you know, there could be made a case for where that's present and how that was taught by different uh, figures within the history of the Church. In terms of its definitive declaration, this doesn't happen until uh, 1950. And I think uh, it's a significant moment in history, and this goes into, I think, the unfolding of God's providence. Why didn't God choose 
that we as a church would declare all of these dogmas, let's say, year one, right? So all of these things are established about Mary. They've been taught throughout all of history. What would be the purpose in waiting until the year 1950? When we think about the historical moment of 1950, we're following upon uh, World War II, uh, a moment of tremendous disintegration for humanity. Uh, if we think of hundreds of millions right, of human persons killed through the machinations of war that unfold through all of this, so how many you know, souls were lost, the, the, just the sheer terror that humanity unleashes upon itself through all of this, I think there's something to be said for why God and his providence chooses that particular moment to have this declaration of the dogma. And, and I think in this case, I'm sure we could come up with all sorts of other ideas but the one that comes most to mind in terms of why at that particular moment in history is certainly that would be a moment in history when we're not thinking very highly of the human person and of what the human person is capable of. And yet this particular dogma of our Blessed Mother right, being assumed <clears throat> body and soul into heaven again points us to the great dignity of the human body that which had been so disregarded, that which had been so desecrated. I think in God's providence, he's using that moment, working through Mary, through the church, to point us back to the great dignity of the human body, that the human body, redeemed by God's grace, is assumed into heaven. This body of Mary uh, is assumed, she's assumed body and soul into heaven. And so I think that would be my understanding of, you know, like I said, it's, it's not a definitive response to this by any stretch of the imagination, but a way of saying, well, why would God choose that particular moment in history to do this? Uh, and, and that's that's what I tend to think of. It, it was a, a response by God, in some sense, to what was such a horrible period of human history. In part, you you have already answered this, but if you wanted to add any more to this, as Catholics, is it possible to have a relationship with Christ and not Mary? So I would say theoretically it's possible. I don't think it would be recommended. Right. Is what I would course. say. So it, it's you know, it's possible and there could be a person out there who for one reason or another really struggles. And and I'm saying that like this is a theoretical thing. We know there are people out there who struggle in their relationship with Mary. It could be because of a difficulty in the human relationship they had with their own mother, for example, that they have a very grave difficulty in finding comfort in that title of mother. So so there, there are people who struggle in their relationship with Mary. I think we would be called as Catholics to try and work through that difficulty, and even with an open heart, to invite God to soften our hearts, to be able to come to understand the role that Mary played. And ultimately, because of the role she plays in salvation history, we at the very least have to honor that and, and thank that is what I would say. Um, but at different moments of our lives, uh, each of us will 
be responding to God's grace as it's being given to us. And while that grace may in a particular way be manifested through Mary's intercession at a moment of our lives, it may not always be that way. And so, uh, you know, going back to what I was saying earlier about the Trinity, of feeling like we would have to sort of like equally divide up our time between the, the persons of the Trinity, we ought not to feel guilty in a sense if we don't have a, a specific time slot allotted to Mary every time that we pray, uh, but by virtue of her role in salvation history, I, I think it's it's vitally important. I, I would say I think we would be um, foolish in a sense not to turn to Mary uh, because of the particular role that she has played in salvation history and, and how God in his providence um, includes her in his his work of salvation. So so she can be a tremendous aid to us. And so we are cutting ourselves off from what can be a very profound aid to us. So we're only hurting ourselves to some degree. But at the same time saying that, I want to be sensitive to those persons who for one reason or another might struggle with being able to relate to Mary in that sense. Not to feel guilty about that, but just to, in, in a very gentle way, ask the Lord, help me to overcome this struggle, you know, and to really try and invite Mary to teach them uh, a different perspective on that word mother, for example, if that's where they struggle. Right, of course. I know this is a good uh, follow-up question. Um, what is the importance of the rosary? I guess, why is it so important is this something that we should be saying daily or um, as often as we can? I know, at least personally, especially with what you were just talking about, I know during just a part of my life where I was very much just struggling with different things. And I, I, I can remember one of the things that definitely kept me going was every night I would say the rosary and just how powerful it was in the sense of how much peace it would bring me, um, which definitely attests to just how you would feel with a mom comforting you in for so sure. many ways, you know? No, for sure. Yeah, so certainly the rosary has this long-standing uh, history within our Catholic faith and um, is one of the, um, I would say, most central devotions uh, that we have in our Catholic faith. And, and, and I emphasize that word devotion there because it fits into the, the broader context of all of our devotional prayers that we offer up. Um, so maybe first to say a word to people who struggle with the rosary. So to say that first. If you struggle with praying the rosary, know that you are in the company of one St. Therese of Lisieux. So Therese of Lisieux had her own struggles with uh, praying the rosary. I think in part it can be um, a difficulty with the repetition. Some people maybe struggle with that. Some people may struggle. Um, Teresa of Avila, she uses this phrase to describe herself. She says she's a scatterbrain. And so she said that she needed sort of briefer moments of focusing on the Lord. And particularly what was helpful for her was focusing on our Lord's humanity, but in, in sort of like brief spurts from time to time. And so for some of us, maybe the rosary is a struggle. And if that is the case, uh, that's why I wanted to use that example of Therese of the Zoo for people to know, like, you're, you're in safe company in that sense. And we need not feel guilty if we struggle with praying the rosary. The rosary is 
a form of devotional prayer that in God's providence has been given to us, and it can be a very powerful and very helpful uh, devotional prayer. Uh, but not everyone must pray the rosary every day, right? The church certainly doesn't declare that as one of the necessary principles of the faith, you know, that, that you must pray the rosary every day. That being said, the rosary is very highly recommended to us by many more saints than those perhaps who struggled with it um, and uh, can have a very vital role. One of the roles I, I see the rosary as fulfilling uh, is in a sense, teaching us how to pray. I think personally that's the gift that I see in the rosary uh, as my parents growing up uh, had us as a family praying the rosary together each night. I think what it taught me was how to meditate, how to reflect on these different aspects of the life of Christ, to lift up my my intellect, my imagination, to give that over to this particular moment of the life of Christ, this moment of the Blessed Mother, to these important events of salvation history, and as we say, to meditate upon them, and to recognize in praying the rosary that we're doing that action of meditating with the Blessed Mother, that she's there at our side, she's aiding us, she's helping us. Uh, and so I give a lot of credit to the rosary, and, and particularly to my parents, for uh, teaching me how to pray the rosary and for encouraging me in that prayer for teaching me how to pray. So I think the rosary can be a very great way for someone uh, just to learn that habit of meditation, of lifting uh, the intellect up to the Lord, of stirring up uh, devotion, love within our own hearts. Um, and that's the real essence of the rosary is, is meditating deeply upon the mysteries of the life of Christ. Um, and those figures within the life of Christ who have significant roles in salvation history as well. It's not, as maybe some would say, worshiping Mary. If someone were to use the rosary for the purpose of worshiping Mary, it's a misuse. It would be an abuse of the rosary, but that instead the rosary is meant to be this instrument to pray with Mary in meditating upon those mysteries of our faith that are these significant moments uh, in salvation history. Um, so that would be sort of my answer to that, I guess. Gotcha. Um, I wanted to ask you as well, I had heard that at one point in time, when people would say the rosary, it wouldn't just be uh, the glorious mysteries, it would be all the mysteries. So they would essentially, I mean, pray the rosary for every single mystery that there was. Is that true or? So no? I, I think there have been different developments of the rosary. I mean, much like any of the things we've been talking about today, the rosary was not something uh, sort of handed down in, you know, the year 33 AD. And then we, we have this like perfect script of how it's meant to be done. Uh, but it's something that develops uh, over time and that we can see certain patterns that existed prior to the rosary in terms of habits of maybe praying, um, either praying with beads, for example, uh, or praying in a certain repetitious way, uh, that these are just methods that I think humans in general, like, because it's, it's, it's also not even something that's unique to Catholicism, that within other religions there's practices of praying with beads, which can obviously help in terms of kind of keeping account, so to speak. Um, 
but also given a, a certain direction uh, to uh, that meditation. Uh, but it, so it's seen in that context of a, a tool that I think can be very helpful. And, and I see it as a way of God kind of accommodating himself to that human condition that number one, it's, it's a tangible thing, something I can hold in my hand. Um, it's something that can be prayed in a sense in short spurts. And then it directs my attention to those very core mysteries of our faith, uh, which are very important for us to ponder over. And while there are other ways that we could certainly ponder over those mysteries, I just think there's something to be said for doing so with Mary and and in a very real sense, asking Mary as we pray to pray for us and to pray with us in that sense. Another, and I've definitely talked about this on this, uh, on this podcast, but there, there are now so many different aids if you are struggling with the rosary. So I know that there's actually, it's a podcast, but all it is, is, um, someone, saying the rosary and they have different background noises depending on what it is you're looking for i know my favorite one is just an acoustic guitar sometimes it just not that you need anything oh, no, uh, but, per se but it's no but that can yeah. be helpful i mean there is a scriptural rosary for example where with each bead of the rosary there's maybe a passage of scripture given which is meant to help direct your attentiveness to that particular mystery which you are pondering and and I think again here there ought to be a certain freedom. Sometimes we can get um a bit locked in to our way of praying the rosary, let's say, and to think that that's the way everyone ought to pray the rosary. Uh, but there ought to be a, a certain uh, flexibility. There, there has to be a, a real human element to how we pray the rosary. Certainly, like it gives us a structure upon which we would build, so to speak, and that that is a, is an aid to us. Uh, but there ought to be a certain freedom in in the praying of the rosary. And, and the, the ultimate goal of the rosary is not to complete the rosary perfectly, but the ultimate goal is to foster devotion and love for our Lord. Right. So it's a I'm tool so, to help us. I'm so glad that you said that because, and I know, so many people can relate to this. I know sometimes when I'll be saying the rosary, there, there'll be certain de- uh, certain decades or certain parts of the rosary where you are locked in. Yeah. And then there are definitely certain parts where you know as soon as you just finished saying, I don't know, the last three or four Hail Marys that you were zoned out. Yeah. And so you know, there's yeah. always, at least for me, I know that there's always some guilt of, okay, I feel like I need to go back and I need to start over again. So I'm glad that you said that. Yeah, and I always remember when I was in seminary, it was probably... A few years in, but my spiritual director told me something that I've always held on to. And he said, look, if you're praying the rosary, and if if you've only gotten to that very first Hail Mary, and the Lord you know, brings your heart to just this place of deeper meditation or to contemplation, stay with that. Like, don't fight with the Lord. Well, I've got to finish my rosary, Lord, you know, and kind of resist him in that sense. Uh, but instead, to recognize that ultimately the rosary is this this tool. It's meant to lead us into deeper union with Christ, and, and Mary is helping us through that. And so if it happens on the very first bead of the rosary, like, don't feel like you have to complete it. It's not a feat of strength, so to speak, uh, but it's there to help to, to draw us into deeper union with Christ. And also, last thing on the rosary, too, um, and I will usually at least I will say the rosary um when I do say it in the evening and I know 
it, it's it's just so powerful and it's so fascinating because there will be times when I cannot get to sleep and I will start saying the rosary sure. and I will be asleep in about 10 minutes. Sure. And I know sometimes um, there have definitely, how can I say this? There have definitely been certain times in my life when I have been saying the rosary and I want to finish saying the whole thing. I will find myself nodding off and it's this constant battle of I need to stay awake and I need to finish doing this because I know that this is um, healthy for me spiritually wise. At the same time, though, um, I always wonder as well, is this God's way of also saying, just rest with me? Sure. And I think, you know, we have this phrase, we say grace builds upon nature. Um, and it's one thing if I've taken a vow to God, you know, and as part of my vow in religious life or something that I've promised to pray a rosary every day. If I haven't done that, um, I don't have a moral obligation, let's say, to complete the rosary from start to finish. Um, you know, if I fall asleep while praying the rosary, it's okay. Right? Um, obviously, we want to try and not make a habit of these things. Like, you know, if we're always waiting till the very last minute, you know, of our day to pray, and so we're never really able to enter in with any kind of devotion, you know, then we, I think, need to adjust or tweak our schedule in some, perhaps there's, perhaps there's an over-busyness to our day, something of that nature. Uh, but if we should fall asleep while pay, praying the rosary, uh, I don't think we ought to feel guilty about that. Um, certainly, uh, it's, again, it's that idea, it's not a feat of strength, you know, well, I can complete all of these beads, um, but it's about it, how it moves our heart. And if we are you know, tired at a particular mo particular moment, I think, you know, we ought to honor our, our human nature. We're not angels. We have bodies. And so we need rest. We need sleep. Okay. So the last question, why do we refer to Mary as different titles? So Our Lady of Guadalupe, Our Lady of Fatima, um, why do we do that if they all represent her at the end of the day. Yeah, so I, I think this is, again, uh, part of that aspect of God accommodating himself to our human condition, and that, uh, go back to that phrase of Jesus, the Word was made flesh, the incarnation. He enters into our world, he enters into our very life, to time and to space. And in a very real sense, there's an unfolding of that pattern of the incarnation, even in the way in which Mary operate, so to speak, through God's providence, that she will appear at different moments in history, and that even her appearance is different. That generally when she appears in these different places around the world, that she accommodates herself to the real physical appearances even of the people. So if she appears uh, at Guadalupe, she's going to look like a native of that place. If she appears in Japan, she will look Japanese. And I think it's this very real sense of Mary really entering into our lives, God entering into our lives. Uh, and, and it helps us in that sense to be able to relate, that we, we more easily relate to that which is familiar to us. Uh, and so I think I see all of those different apparitions as they happen as God's way of accommodating himself to us. Um, you know, and, and it's to, important to recognize in that how much God wants a relationship with us. 
and how much our Blessed Mother wants a relationship with us, that they, in a way, we could say, go out of their way, so to speak, to take down certain things that might be barriers, like if it's appearance. I can't relate to this image. Well, I'm going to accommodate myself to an image that you can relate to. Uh, and, and that, to me, more, almost more than anything, reveals the heart of God, a God who loves us so much that he desires this, he really wants a relationship with us. And Mary, in this sense, really wants to take a very active role in our spiritual lives. She really wants to serve as our mother. She really wants to serve as someone who can lead us closer to Christ. So whatever she can do to take those barriers down, uh, that's what she's trying to do. I think from our own perspective, it's not necessary then that we have a devotion to all of these different manifestations, but to see which ones tend to draw our heart more. I think is where reading about them, reading the different messages of these apparitions, the, the different details uh, can be helpful for stirring up faith within, within us. And there might be certain elements that kind of captivate us and draw us uh, to the Blessed Mother in that regard. Uh, and so, you know, doing a little research on our own part about the different apparitions can be helpful, um, but not to feel like we have to sort of put all of the different ones into our toolbox, but to, to go with those that most stir up devotion within our heart in that sense. I know those are all of the questions. Is there anything you would like to leave off with or just with what you were saying um, with just reading about Mary? Do you have, and it's okay if you don't, but do you have any recommendations of different books for maybe people who are um, trying to, for lack of a better term, kickstart their relationship with Mary or even people who maybe are devoted to Mary and just to continue that devotion um, and continue, and to continue that reverence to her. Yeah, I, I think the very first thing I would recommend is in a way of just simply asking Mary, like with an open heart, if if you don't really have a relationship with her, to say, Mary, can you please in some way manifest yourself in my life? Can you in some way help me to come to know you more deeply. Can you reveal yourself to me in some way? I, I remember at one point in my life, uh, it was it was actually when I made a, uh, a pilgrimage to Lourdes. And that, that would be another thing I'd say, make a pilgrimage to these holy sites that we have, and you will encounter Mary. And, and in a real sense, Mary will encounter you. But I remember making a pilgrimage to Lourdes, and the particular grace that I asked for was that Mary would reveal herself to me as woman. And it was as I was coming back from the pilgrimage that I realized the way in which Mary chose to do that was through several of the women who were on the pilgrimage with me, that they showed forth different aspects of the beauty of woman, of, of motherhood, and through them I came to understand Mary more deeply. And so that that would be my first encouragement, is just simply to ask Mary really to reveal herself to you and to be open to that. Uh, and, and not to look for some mystical thing where, you know, Mary is going to appear to you in your bedroom uh, and you're going to have your own particular apparition, uh, but perhaps even through what's already out there in a sense. Um, one author that I highly recommend for his writings on the Blessed Mother is a French author. He's, he's no longer alive, but René Laurentin is his name. And he's written a, a, a lot on Mary. He was influential in the Second Vatican Council documents uh, as they speak about the Blessed Mother. Uh, but he wrote 
uh, a, two particular books that I found very helpful. One on the apparitions at Lourdes. I think that, that one's called Bernadette Speaks. Uh, so it really helps you to encounter Our Lady through that particular uh, manifestation, those apparitions, but also helps you to come to a deeper understanding of the beauty of St. Bernadette. Uh, but there's also one that he wrote on uh, uh, the apparitions of the Miraculous Medal. Uh, which also took place uh, in France as well. Um, but really anything by uh, Father René Laurentin on the Blessed Mother, I find that to be uh, very helpful. Uh, but as I said, I mean, those books can be helpful, but nothing can replace just that opening of the heart and that invitation to Mary to, to establish a relationship with us. And again, not to look for anything dramatic, um, but just in those gentle ways uh, that Mary will, will lead us and will, will deepen a relationship with us. Gotcha. Okay. Well, thank you so much for doing this. This was. I hope you had some light bulb moments while listening to this past portion of my interview. And like I said last time, this interview really scratches the surface about the Blessed Mother and I know that we will probably have another episode about her in the future. So don't worry if there are still questions you have regarding her. Still send them to us, and I have a very good feeling that they will be discussed later on. If this show is impacting your life, and you would like to offer a monetary donation to the show, you can do so on our Anchor website, which is anchor, A-N-C-H-O-R, dot F-M, slash T-Y-C podcast. Don't forget to come back next week to listen to my interview with my special guest, my mom. From one young Catholic to another, preach the truth as if you had a million voices. It is the silence that kills the world. St. Catherine of Siena. <laughs>